strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, thanks for spending part of your morning with us. Um, the Arizona House Speaker, Ben Toma, introduced uh, the toughest anti-illegal immigration law ever written. It is the Protecting Arizona Against Illegal Immigration Act. It is the House Concurrent Resolution 2060, and it will be as a November 2024 ballot initiative. Getting it on the ballot means the voters would decide whether or not this would go into effect. He joins us now. Uh, Mr. Speaker, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Let's let's talk about why this was written, what's in it. Let's start with what this will actually do. If the voters vote in favor of this, what will actually happen? Well, this builds off of the, the Legal Arizona Workers Act, which was passed in 2007 and took effect in 2008, more commonly known as the E-Verify law. And the reason this is this is a lot tougher and uh, and more significant is because it actually adds a uh, a significant uh, number of changes. And uh, for example, tougher penalties. It creates two class six felonies, two new class six felonies. First, for anyone that's working to either either alone or with others to to obstruct or prevent anyone from uh, doing their duty to use a, a, a verify as required by by this law. And then secondly, of course, for any employer w- would be guilty if the employer knowingly refuses to verify the, the eligibility of, um, of someone, uh, either that they know or should have known that that person was not lawfully present uh, in, in the U.S. And it also gives incentives for our AG and let's be honest here, uh, currently, that would really be also for our county attorneys to to prosecute because the, the, the penalty, which is pretty significant, uh, $10,000 for someone that, that is found to have offended, uh, would, uh, would, would be used to offset their costs. So I, I think it is tough. I think that's right. But I do think that uh, fellow Arizonans are, are ready to take a stand and, and bring about real change. There were a couple of points that were pushed back on this. And one of them on the other side of the aisle, some of the Democrats in the House have said that this is going to cause people to go to extreme measures to make ends meet when they're in Arizona. Do you see an uptick in crime being a possibility as, a, as an unintended consequence of this? I mean, in all honesty, I think if we're going to talk about uptick in crime, I mean, we should talk about the fact that it is Democrat policy and the failure of the federal government, uh, including, of course, President Biden, uh, chief Democrat, uh, that that have gotten us to where we are. And that's where we have an uptick in crime already from the fact that we have we're not in, uh, enforcing immigration laws where our border is open. And uh, and, you know, all of the. Um, all of the well, the, the invasion that's happened there, uh, specifically the the fact that we've got uh, fentanyl coming over the border, which I know has been talked about a lot, uh, human trafficking, uh, but just the human cost of, of of having these policies that continue to invite people to be here, and and how are we supposed to take care of them? Uh, I mean, if it, it's true, we can't really do the federal government's job, but we we can ensure that we don't become like California and other states that that have chosen to effectively go bankrupt while trying to deal with uh, the failure of the federal government. One of the other uh, criticisms I've heard people say about this is what it does is it shifts the responsibility for this onto businesses and businesses could be punished for something that's out ne- kind of outside of their control, but also they're going to have severe punishments for things and hiring people, but it's not their fault that the people are here. Do you, how do you respond to that? 
Well, first of all, I'm an immigrant, and as you know, and also a business owner. As a matter of fact, a business owner that employs a lot of employees that are 1099. That's the, the you know, I, my wife and I were on a real, residential real estate brokerage, and that you know, every real estate agent in Arizona is a 1099 employee, pretty much. So, so I, I know what I'm talking about here. I I, I understand the, the frustration potentially from small business owners, but I can tell you that that that's simply not true. You know, the, the truth of the matter is if anyone that chooses to employ uh, someone can run the E-Verify system in this case. And if they've run the E-Verify system and that person turns out to be uh, illegal, there is there is the, there's no presumption of guilt whatsoever. As a matter of fact, that is a uh, an affirmative defense. So th- this is very commonsensical. In other words, just do what you're supposed to do and you're going to be fine. On the other hand, if you're firing, say, a family member or someone uh, that you know for sure you've hired before and you've run the E-Verify system, you don't have to do it again. Uh, and, and you're only going to be held accountable if you've ended, if you actually hired someone that was illegal, that turned out to be illegal. If someone was after investigation, someone that turned out to be illegal, then there's no issue whatsoever. There's no breaking law. There's no penalties. Uh, this isn't about creating more bureaucracy to make it tougher for businesses, especially as a small business owner. I can 100 uh, percent vouch for that. And uh, and that was never the intent. This is about holding those that are that are that are that have been skirting the law and have been losing the using the loopholes uh, accountable to to ensure that this stops happening and that you know people that are willing to take advantage of of Arizonans that are working here legally go somewhere else and that's that's was the next part of my question was about incentives because we know in Massachusetts many of the citizens want to get rid of their mandatory shelter law in Chicago the voters in Chicago which is not a conservative city want to get rid of their sanctuary status because it is, is they say it's incentivizing people to go to those cities is this a tool that's being used to take away some of the incentives to stay in Arizona to go to someplace else that may be easier for them to find work Exactly. Again, we're having this conversation because the federal government has refused to do their job. If they enforced border security and they enforced legal immigration and provided ways for people to come here legally, I'm more than open to those types of discussions. But the truth is human beings respond to incentives, as you correctly put it. You know, it's easy for those cities in the north uh, and and on the left coast and and east coast to uh, to to just you know, to vote for or to be uh, supportive of, of, of Biden's policies when they don't have to feel the cost. But now that they are feeling the cost, they realize what this means. They're now changing, as you correctly put it. They're, these are not exactly um, conservative cities by any stretch. So, yeah, it is about incentives. It's about incentives. If you if you want these policies, then you have to deal with it. Uh, we're, we're done here in Arizona. I think you've seen we're done in Texas, uh, and I support what they did. I, unfortunately, I think they're going to get challenged in courts. Uh, and by the way, this is another important point about this. The reason. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, the reason this is important um, is because, you know, I've been scratching my brain how to how to how to do this and something that's significant that removes the incentives for illegal immigrants to stay in this state in particular. And that's why I built on the on, on the original E-Verify law, because that was upheld as constitutional by the United States Supreme Court. And uh, and as such, this is simply building on that, adding more, you know, um, as I said, more uh, tougher. It's a little tougher because uh, because I want to make sure that the incentives are there uh, to both to, to investigate, which is why it's there for for the AG. And although our current AG probably won't use this, our county attorneys will. And so they're included as well. And also just law enforcement in general, so they can use the, the those penalties to offset their costs. So it is all about incentives at the end of the day. 
And I think it's going to work. Arizona House Speaker Ben Toma is joining us. So then my last question is, what is it going to take to get this on the ballot? And if the voters do approve it, when will it take effect? Well, there is a delayed effective date until, uh, I believe, January 1st of 2026 in the bill. The And the reason for that is we want to give people an opportunity to, to comply and everyone to be educated about this. This is not a gotcha type of situation. As I said, I'm an immigrant myself and also a small business owner, and I want to make sure that, um, that it's very clear that this applies to businesses, not to consumers, and that everyone has an ample time uh, to understand the law and to comply. It, I'm not looking to just throw people in jail for any uh, reason whatsoever. That's the first thing. Secondly, it's going to have to pass the, the House. I believe it will. Uh, and the Senate, I believe that will happen as well, in which case it will be on the ballot uh, in November. And, uh, and, and and everyone in Arizona that's that's going to vote in November will have the opportunity to vote and uh, and make their, their will known on this issue. Mr. Speaker, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. I hope you'll come back soon. And I'd like to get an update on what's happening this legislative session as well. Looking forward to it. Anytime. All right. That is Ben Toma. He's the Arizona House Speaker with uh, what he is saying is is going to be when it gets on the ballot, give you an opportunity to vote on what they say is the toughest immigration law that's ever been written. Coming up in a moment, suspects arrested in an organized crime burglaries. We'll talk about why this is important coming up here in just one moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, a thank you to the Arizona Speaker, Ben Toma, for giving us an update on this. You may have a chance in in November, and he believes it's going to pass the House and Senate. Then the voters will have a chance. Uh, For all of your elections, everything election in Arizona, we want to make sure you are the most informed voters out there. So please go to KTAR.com, keep involved, download the app. You're going to have the opportunity to hear the interview you see the interviews on our on our YouTube channel if you want to subscribe to that. And so you can be the most informed voter when it comes time to cast your ballot. Um, I've been following this story. A couple of weeks ago, we had on the city of Scottsdale police chief, and we talked with uh, Chief Walther about the uptick in crime, um, and they believed it was a South American gang, what they call crime tourists, which I had never heard that phrase. These are people that come to the U.S. with the express purpose of committing crimes, especially burglaries. They know that if they can steal your property, they can sell it very quickly online or through a fence, uh, whether it's handbags, you know, expensive items that people spend a lot of money on. You know, it costs a lot of money for some of these nice things. They steal them, sell them at a lot less, get the profit from them. It's fairly simple for them to do. There was a gang of people, there were a group of people that came and did this, I believe, in 2019 or so, and they believed that it was the same MO. Well, the city of Phoenix Police Department on Friday evening thwarted an attempted break-in at 44th Street and Camelback Road, right near Camelback Mountain, according to a sergeant with the Phoenix Police Department. They believe the three suspects were linked to the South American theft group, uh, a type of transnational organized crime group thought to be behind the recent spike in home burglaries throughout the valley. Around 7.30 in the evening, I'm just going to read one little piece of this. Surveillance officers noticed a group of suspects in a neighborhood, according to police. The suspects then closed in on the property of a residential home in what appeared to be an attempted break-in, and they were able to stop it. Now, I don't know this for sure when they talk about surveillance officers. Is it the net teams, the net squads, the neighborhood enforcement teams? 
This is why having a fully functioning, fully funded, fully staffed police agency, this is the kind of proactive policing that's necessary to thwart crimes. Now, we know we talked to the Scottsdale chief. He said it's been in the East Valley. There's been an uptick. And if you know this area, 44th Street and Camelback, it is a it is a high end area. They are choosing homes that they know their likelihood of higher end goods are going to be in those homes. And that's what they were doing. This is good police work. I bring this up because I have in front of me stories, another Minnesota town is going to completely disband its police department. Um, that's just a part of it. In the city of Oakland, businesses are leaving, and they're leaving because they cannot they cannot sustain themselves. People, good customers are not coming in because of the crime in the area. Um, all of this stuff, uh, Governor Jeff Landry declares the state of emergency in Louisiana due to a severe shortage in police officers. Um, our support as a society, yes, it is important for us to thank first responders, all people in public safety when we see them and thank them for the difficult work they do. This goes for police and fire and the people that work as rescue workers on ambulances. All of those people deserve our respect and admiration. But it also has to be a little more than that, in my opinion. What the city of Phoenix is doing, and, and I have been pretty vocal in any political disagreement I have with anyone, it's what I do. But when they do the right thing, when they stand up and it's against what can be a very big push from a small group of people, when the city council in Phoenix stands up and says, we are not going to we are not going to enter into a consent decree with the DOJ. We're not going to give over power of our police agency. We hired a chief that's an expert in this area. And they did. They brought in Chief Michael Sullivan. He's in the he's the temporary, the interim chief. But he's in the second year of his contract, and he's considered to be nationally an expert on this situation where the DOJ is investigating. They talk about being a self-policing, self-correcting agency, which they were before the chief got here. But he is an expert in these areas and is bringing changes to the Phoenix Police Department, some of them very popular, some of them not popular with uh, cops in, in the city. But what they do understand is that having federal oversight that you and I are going to pay for is going to be detrimental to the future of this city, not just for policing, but for fire as well, for public safety as a whole. And so we've got to be able to stand up and say, this is the quality work. In this case, it was the Phoenix Police Department. But I'm telling you, after talking with the Scottsdale chief, the Scottsdale chief is in contact with Tempe and is in contact with Mesa and Chandler and East Valley cities where this uptick has happened. So now you're seeing coordinated efforts between agencies. And in this case, the Phoenix Police Department was able to stop this group of people, take people into custody and find out they are, in fact, South American and putting a dent in this, sending a message that if you're going to do this here now, the next level of of this is, of course, going to be prosecution. What happens now when the office of the Maricopa County attorney gets this case and are they going to send and I believe they will send a clear message to anybody involved in this. If you do this here, we will make a concerted effort to make sure you're caught. When you're caught, we're going to put you on trial. And when you're convicted, you're going to spend a significant amount of time in prison. That's the way you send those messages. So Kudos to the Phoenix Police Department and to the other agencies around the Valley that have been working on this. This is why we can't do what other places are doing. Defund our police, disband our police departments, not give them the resources necessary to be fully functioning. We're going to stay on this public safety topic, but I just wanted to bring this to your attention. 
Coming up in just a few moments, great, a fun conversation. The Arizona Diamondbacks were the biggest and best surprise and story here in the Valley with their World Series run. It didn't end the way they wanted, but this young team of superstars making their way to the, to the World Series. We're going to talk with the president and CEO of the Arizona Diamondbacks, Derek Hall, about what to expect this coming season. That conversation happens in just one moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Uh, you know, they say time flies when you're having fun, and this is proof of it, man. The Arizona Diamondbacks single-game tickets go on sale Monday. We are already ready to start spring training. Baseball season is here, and joining us once again is the president of the Arizona Diamondbacks, Derek Hall. Uh, Derek, welcome back, man. Mike, how are you, buddy? Good to be back. I'm doing well. I just, I can't believe how fast this offseason has gone. I mean, it just seemed like yesterday we were talking about the great run to the World Series and what you were going to do for next season, and here we are again. Spring training's here. It flew by for sure, but uh, it feels right. Being out at, you know, Salt River Fields yesterday and out here today, perfect weather. Lots of fans were here yesterday. The the players are so excited to be here and be back. Um, It just feels right. Let's talk about some of the changes you've made. Um, obviously, making a deep run like you did all the way to the World Series, coming up a little bit short. Can you talk about some of the significant changes you've made to this roster and what you think it's going to do? Absolutely. So I think, you know, first and foremost, what we saw in the World Series and even in the NLCS was that we, we were probably another strong, you know, starting pitcher away from from really having more of a uh, of, of a stronger, closer series, especially the World Series, um, when we had to go with a, a bullpen game, both in the NLCS and in, and in the World Series. So for us, you know, we, we went out and got Eduardo Rodriguez, who was one of the, the top free agent pitchers out there. So excited about that. We knew we had a bit of a hole at third base, especially with Longo, you know, not coming back. And, and uh, we wanted an everyday third baseman having traded Rojas, you know, at some point during the season. So going out and trading for Eugenio Suarez, who's a really good power hitting right-handed hitter who brings a, a lot of experience and uh, just great clubhouse guy to the roster. And then a couple of moves, you know, we, we knew we needed a DH. We went out and got Jock Peterson because we had become so right-handed from the hitting standpoint. So bringing in Jock Peterson, who actually, you know, absolutely demolishes right-handed pitching. And then to counter that, whenever you have a lefty, we just went out and got, got Gritchick as well. So I, I, I like the moves we've made. Bringing back Lourdes Gurdiel was, it was, a, it was a nice move. Our fans were excited about that because he was such a big part of the success last year. And, and again, we have a lot of depth ready to, to help out and come up here and fill in whenever we, whenever we need it. And what's interesting about this is the way how differently this team is put together. You and I talked about it last season, but having this core of players that have been together since they were so very young and now coming into their own. But now you've again, you're facing this Dodger organization who can write massive checks to people and they've done it in the offseason signing superstars. But you've been able to overcome that. You did it in the playoffs. Do you believe that this roster is going to compete at that level again? Are you going to challenge to win the division again? Well, it's going to be tough, right? I mean, they obviously felt the need to go out and, and spend a lot of money, and they have the capability of doing so, and they did. They spent a billion dollars in about a week on two players, two really good players. Um, and and they're, they're always going to be, it seems like, the, you know, the beast in our division. They are just so good. 
And, and even last year, you know, we finished, what, 16 games behind the Dodgers. So it wasn't like we, we, we made it close. Um, I do think this is a group that has a lot of confidence. I think on paper, Mike, we're better right now than we were a year ago before we started. I think we're a better team, and, and look where we got last year. So I, I just look in the eyes of our players, and yesterday I addressed the players and you know in the clubhouse for the first meeting, but you could just see this confidence. I mean, they, they are young. They don't know any better, nor do they care. And, you know, the messages that, that we that we shared with them, you know, number one, thank you for everything you did. It was one of my most enjoyable seasons in over 30 years in baseball, but, but it's behind us, and we haven't done anything this year, right? We're zero and zero, and, you know, you have to realize what got you there, how good you are. This is a great team. And by the way, there's a lot of teams out there that are now modeling themselves after us. Oh, and they hated playing you. So it's been a long time since our fans were saying, your team is so much fun to watch, and oh, the other teams hate playing you. Those are two qualities you should be very proud of, and you should go out there and continue to be hated by the other teams and continue to be a fun team for our fans to watch. How much does the manager, Tar Lavolo, play a role in this? I've got a headline in front of me that says the D-backs manager says anonymous fans have been sending him ice cream deliveries. That's how popular (laughs) this guy is. He got really popular, and he deserves it. And, you know, he had some rough years, and, and, you know, fans are – they're tough, right? There were a lot of fans that were saying, make a change of manager. And, and I think they're probably glad we didn't uh, because he does make a big difference down there. And you and I have talked about it before, Mike. He is a great communicator. He's a player's manager. They'll run through a wall for him. They really love him. And, you know, his door is always open. He's, um, he, he's, a, he's a class act. I mean, when you talk to Tori, he's genuine, he's real, he's pure, and he's got a huge heart. And that comes through each and every day. So let's talk about the tickets. Single game tickets go on sale Monday, but what can the fans expect? I don't want to jump over spring training, but I'm talking about opening day when they drop that banner. That is going to be a cool experience. What can they expect uh, opening day? Can't wait. Well, you know, opening day is always such a, a big celebration anyways, where it's the, the bunting, the red, white, and blue bunting, and it's a, a great first pitch and a great anthem. But you're exactly right. When we get to display that new banner, that's really going to be something. I think that entire weekend, you know, we're Thursday through Sunday, um, you know, against, against the Rockies, and we're going to have, obviously, a big opening day. The next day we're going to have a, a celebration T-shirt for the NLCS. That is likely the day we're going to, you know, give the, the, the players their rings, and it'll be the first time they and the coaches have seen them. There's just so much going on that, that full weekend. I love it. Um, but, but you're right, and there's been a lot of excitement for – for tickets and and we've seen a big lift in season tickets that we haven't seen in quite some time where now we're in the teens you know for for total packages sold that's a great sign and it, it's a huge credit to our fans for bringing them back last year Derek Hall is joining us, the president of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, before I let you go, uh, what we do have to talk about is the TV deal and stadium. I mean, you're still up in the air about that. I mean, this team, I don't believe, is going anywhere. But can you give us any kind of an update on the stadium, uh, where you're going to be playing in the future? And what about the TV? Where can fans watch this team? And is that thing all set to go? Absolutely. Okay, so first on, on TV, no, Mike, we, we don't have an answer yet. We're still weighing our options. And, of course, probably by this week we're going to have to – have to pick a road and we'll let fans know how and where they can see, you know, games. We were with MLB last year after, after we lost out on diamond because of the bankruptcy and MLB did a great job. And so we know we can land there if we need to, we'll be right back on the same distribution that we, that we were last year. Um, and, and as far as the stadium, you know, I stood there yesterday. I know naturally it, it caught some headlines and became headlines after yesterday, but having stood there right next to Ken, when he was making the comments, um, I, I can tell you what he was trying to do was say, we're not going anywhere. We haven't talked to any of those cities. There are a lot of cities that are 
that are rumored to want a team. And, and, you know, those rumors are out there. So I think he was trying to get out there to say, sure, there are cities that want baseball teams, but we haven't engaged with any of them. We haven't talked to any of them and we want to be here when he, you know, of course we've always said, like I, I've talked to you the last couple of years, we're running out of time because the lease comes up, you know, in, in a few years. So we just really need to get a deal in place so we can stay at Chase Field start with the renovations that are going to be probably three or four years of, of stretching it out so that you can schedule it because of our off-season events. But we have no intention of going anywhere. We just really need to partner and finalize a deal with whoever uh, you know will come to the table, whether it's, it's city, county, state, maybe all three. Well, I got to tell you, it's so good to hear the, 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 the joy in your voice. I always love talking with you anyway, but to, this excitement and anticipation for this season, spring training is always huge here in the Valley with the Cactus League, but this element of what the D-backs are doing make it even more exciting, and I can't wait to get out to a spring training game, and I can't wait to see you on opening day. I'm gonna have, Somehow I'm getting out there for opening day. I need, that, I need that code for tickets for opening day from you, if there is one, but I will be in that stadium for opening day. I know you will. Can't wait to see you, too. And uh, I just want to thank everybody out there, all your listeners, all the fans, because we're just as excited as they are, and hopefully we live up to those expectations. All right, Derek, I'll talk to you soon. You got it, Mike. Thanks. All right, that's Derek Hall, president and CEO of the Arizona Diamondbacks, making it, you know, saying we don't want, we're not going anywhere. We got to get a deal done. So that was some great clarification for the fans here. And I hope you get out to a game. Spring training is so much fun. The fans are the, the players are accessible. It's just such a fun atmosphere. And to have this team go as deep as they did, it was so much fun to watch them. And to watch this young talent come out, come back is going to be outrageous. In a moment, we're going to talk about schools. We're going to shift to poor math scores. Some are now saying in America, becoming a national security issue. We're going to talk education coming up in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, the M3F Music Festival is headed to Steel Indian School Park, March 1st and 2nd. 100% of all profits from this music festival goes to various charities throughout the Valley. Limited tickets are still available for purchase, but you can win a pair by visiting the contest page at KTAR.com. All right, before we close out this hour, I thought this was an interesting uh, piece talking about national security. American students are falling behind. Poor math scores are now a national security threat, according to some. Uh, There has been a 13-point decline in U.S. students in math scores compared with a study or an exam in 2018. In stark contrast, 28 other countries— and economies managed to either maintain or improve their 2018 math scores. Countries such as Switzerland and Japan leading the way, leaving the United States in the dust. These are considerably more successful nations, share a number of common characteristics, including most notably of all, shorter school closures during the pandemic, as noted in the report. Now, I don't want to go down the road of the pandemic. We can't go down the road and we can't um, we can't change what happened in the past. But what are we doing moving forward when you look at education There's a teacher shortage in Arizona. How do you address it? But this has got to be a concerted effort from all of us. Parents have to understand the national implications of all of this. Financial literacy classes are growing in high schools with the middle schools the next target. This is another story that people are talking about. Personal finance classes have become a requirement for high school graduation in dozens of states in the past few years. This is, I think, people are starting to assess what are the curriculums and focuses of our 
public school system. I think Arizona is going to make some major changes in the future because of school choice. I am an advocate for school choice, not because I don't like the public school system. I just don't think it's performing. And in order for it to be, and it's still the largest choice for people, there's still the vast majority of parents choose the public school system for their children, and I think it's going to stay that way. But given the school choice opportunities out there, some parents are choosing for alternatives. Charter schools, we've talked about traditional schools and academies. Uh, some are uh, taking their tax dollars and putting them toward private schools, homeschooling, micro schools, all of these other options that best uh, suits a student's needs. I will tell you that I was a horrible student. I had a friend, and I'm not even going to talk about me. I'll talk about my friend. And I was friends with his younger one of his with his younger brother, but his younger brother was uh, I wasn't as close to him. But his younger brother was failing in high school. I mean, flunking out of the public high school system where we grew up, and he got a perfect sixteen hundred on his SATs. And he ended up going to college. He's a brilliant person. And the school system didn't work for him. It just was beneath him, to be honest with you. It was boring. It was not anything challenging to him. It did not connect with him. But once he scored that perfect score on his SATs, he was then able to go on to college and he became an interpreter and he learned languages and became a very successful person because then he had a world where he was challenged and it was something that he was he could excel in. And we've got to find that for everyone. There are so many different options out there. I talk about the CTEDs, the career technical education districts. These are the places where uh, kids are going to learn a skill set. So if they are not necessarily, and many, many, many of them go on to college, but if they're not going straight into college out of high school, they have a skill set where they can go to work and make a really good living. The other thing about this application, because this is how it was in my life, had I understood in high school, because in high school you question everything some kids do. I was I was not a bad kid, but I was a bad student. And I had a very good basic knowledge. I've always been a good reader. But I, I would say to teachers, when am I ever going to use algebra again? When am I ever going to use geometry again? I'm working. I'm just going to work. Everything in my career was algebra and geometry. Every equation is an algebraic equation when you're an electrician like I was. I ended up becoming a contractor. Geometry is used in conduit bending. It is is something that I used every single day of my career. Had I understood when I was younger that when I went to work and I loved the trades when I finally figured out that was for me, that in order for me to excel at the trade I love and now the skills I wanted to get better at, I had to know those, I had to know math. I had to be able to perform algebraic equations. I had to be able to use geometry and, and the things I was doing to be good at my job. Had I been able to know that when I was in high school, I probably would have been a much better student, realizing that I needed those to be better at my job. That practical application doesn't always work for other people. Other people go through school. They understand it's that's what they're doing in life. That's where they are. My point is with our math, with our math um, skills diminishing, we are falling further and further behind internationally. We have this huge push here in Arizona in the tech industries, TSMC, the massive expansion by Intel. Isn't it sad that now we're going to see a bunch of people being brought to this country from other places because there aren't enough people in America that can learn those jobs. It's one thing to be trained for them. It's another thing to not be able to learn them. 
That's the difference. Are you a good learner? And in order to be a good learner, you have to read at grade level. You have to be able to perform basic math skills at grade level. When you leave high school, you have to have the tools to learn what's next. And are we not doing that with our young people? It's a, it's a valuable question. And internationally, the U.S. is falling behind, and some are calling it a national security issue. The politics of education is ugly. I can tell you the politics of education is ugly. But we as parents, we as – not even you have to be parents. We as people in society need to demand that the education system prepare young people for what's next. And I think we should be doing that. Coming up – Food suppliers are warning about inflation. We're going to shift to the economy, and we're going to talk about what it matter, what it means for young people in the workforce next.